Hi, and welcome to the Compassionate Achiever podcast. I'm Tracy Day. I'm here with Chris Cook and our um, hey, Tracy. <laughs> and our half-assed engineer. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to to let our listeners know that um, we had some technical difficulties. Yes, we did. We had some technical difficulties. But it's less than 10 minutes, and then they got their act together. It it fixed itself, (laughs) according to the producers, right? According to the producers. Yes, it fixed itself. So it's like this automatic (laughs) self-healing, you know, bondo. Maybe it was the compassion coming out of the microphone. Moving out of the windscreens. It was. It was. <laughs> it bounced off the windscreens back into the producer studio. <laughs> exactly. So bear with us for only about nine and a half minutes, and then it will all be better. It did say it was less than ten minutes. Less right? than ten. So nine Maybe minutes. Nine fifty-eight. <laughs> exactly. So hang in there with us. It does get better. It does, guys. <laughs> Chris. Good morning, Tracy. I'm excited for today's podcast because we are entering the field of technology. <laughs> the ever abyss <laughs> of technology. Well, it keeps growing. It if does. you want to see it as an abyss, it keeps growing. If you want to see it as the mothership, it keeps growing. Whatever it is, it just keeps yeah. growing and it keeps morphing into kind of new, new angles and new ways. So I'm excited about this because you know, technology is like a double-edged sword, right? I was just going to say that. that okay, well, then you no, say it. No, 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 you said it. You got to it first. Right, that it's a double-edged sword, true. right? It can we help. We need it, and it helps so much in so many ways. But then it can also hurt. Yeah. It can distract. It can backfire. It right. Can, right now, you know, you one of... you see those families sitting uh, at the table with the uh, five phones and nobody's talking, it drives me crazy. Can't right? take it. And now, yeah. but even, you know, back for school-age kids, you know, my, none of my kids have a cell phone, right? Even my 13 but yours year old. Are, but yours are younger. Okay, so your 13-year-old? 13 13-year-old does not have a cell phone, and it's one of the things about being present in the moment, right? And and, and appreciating that. And he's got to save up for his own uh, cell phone. I was going to say, is there a time limit on that, that he can get it? Yes, when he shows responsibility. Uh-huh. And so he's got he's to earn that, that, that trust, because technology can do a lot of different things. And we now know, right, when bullying, when we were younger... If you left school, you left the bully. But with cyber, oh. right, with technology, they can follow you anywhere. Take it, take right? it and, with you. And it goes yeah. all over, right? So, you know, I want them to understand the power of technology because it could be wielded for good, but also be wielded for bad. And so our guest today, oh. you know, is, you know, in the middle of, you know, literally the network, right? The, 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 <laughs> the internet. And, and that's what's so, so cool because there's so many cool things going on and so many wild things. It's like a wild tech West. So I'm, I'm, I'm jacked for today's uh, podcast. Absolutely. And I want to welcome Jim Kennedy. He is the founder and CEO. I'm going to actually read this whole thing because <laughs> this is so impressive. There is no way I could just take a few notes on this and get it right I because agree. I would like really throw myself into the pool. So I want to say hi and thank you, Jim. I really appreciate you being here. So just a little background on what you have done and what you are doing. Uh, Jim is the founder and CEO of the Network Support Company. They're a leading provider of IT services to small and mid-sized businesses in Connecticut, New York, and Florida. Prior to that, Jim co-founded Personal Computer Technology Group, the first computer rental company in Connecticut, right? Amongst other accolades and awards, he's been named one of the North America's top 100 managed service providers every year since 2012. 
that's impressive. We're going to talk about that. Jim has an extensive record of active volunteerism. I mean, you are just the quintessential compassionate volunteer. He's a past chairman of the board of Danbury Hospital. He's a member of the Western Connecticut State University Ansel School of Business Advisory Council and serves on the IT Advisory Board for Ability Beyond Disability. In addition, Jim is the founding chairman of the Samaritan Health Center, one of my, I mean, this place is incredible. It's a free pediatric clinic in Danbury. He's also a director of Newtown Savings Bank. He founded the Western Connecticut Prayer Breakfast, and he's a frequent public speaker on issues of technology, leadership, ethics, and organizational growth. And we are so blessed to have you. Thank Thanks you. for coming. Thank you. Yeah, so appreciate it. So I think that we should just kind of dive right in since we have talked about technology. <laughs> um, we're going to turn to that world. And you've always been on the cutting edge of things. Um, or, you know, you have to be, or you become obsolete in about 10 minutes. Isn't that true? I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you could throw your computer out or your phone out like every day if you needed to, right? If, or if you could. So how do you stay true to your values and not step on the other guy in order to stay ahead of that game? How do you do that? I, I think uh, people are built the same way, whether they're engineers or uh, social services. And they appreciate being treated well, they appreciate being respected, they appreciate um, having their opinions listened to. And uh, I, I know you've probably looked at studies of employee engagement over the years, and uh, it's interesting, the, the number one driver of employee engagement uh, in terms of what studies have revealed is the question, how do employees answer the question, does my manager and management care about me? Right. Mm. And um, and I think it cuts across all industries. Now, technology people do care a little more about certain things. They want to have the tools to do their business well. They want to be, uh, have opportunities to learn the latest technologies. And, um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's about people helping each other, caring for one another, and uh, being respected and trusted. And if you do that, um, they're going to give 110%, and uh, it's just a great, wonderful environment. And you mentioned um, listening and asking the question and listening. And that, uh, just, I want to go back to Luca, if right. you can give us the thumbnail sketch sure. of Luca, that fits right into what listening Jim is saying. Listening to learn, right? So Luca is the four-step program uh, of developing compassion. And the first step is listening. I don't think you can have compassion if you, can, right? if you can't listen, if you don't listen, and but you're listening to learn, right? Learning about someone's problem, right? And, and solving tech problems, you have to you know, ask them, you know, what's going on? Can you show me the error code, right? Yeah. What are you doing when you're typing and that something happens? And, you know, my, my wife uh, grew up with, uh, uh, he's an engineer. My father-in-law is an engineer, but he's also a race car mechanic. And so I remember first meeting him and he always put together, literally put together pieces of her car, right? And he goes, what does it sound like? Does it go click, click, or boom, boom, right? <laughs> so listening, right, to the problems. And, and in tech world, it, it is a different, uh, a different animal, a different beast. And listening is the first step in compassion. Then you got understanding, and then connecting to capabilities, and then acting to solve. So those are basically the four steps. And you're giving us that first important step, because I don't think you can move forward without listening. So... In order to stay ahead like that, that we that we've talked about, 
Um, and Chris brings this up in the book. There's this kind of sharks or dolphins mode. Um, the sharks kind of eat people along the way to get ahead. And then the dolphins bring along the other the other fish. Right. Dolphins are mammals, I think, aren't they? But yeah. anyway, you know what <laughs> no, I mean. Exactly. <laughs> you get right? the so there's two ways of approaching it, right? You can eat others to get ahead, or you can swim with others to all move ahead, ahead together is what. And do you find that's true in technology, or do you find that it's a little different in that arena? No, we, uh, I can talk specifically about my company. Yeah. I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> One of the uh, things people, when we hire them, one of the things they will say immediately after they've been there a few weeks is, uh, it's amazing. I can call anybody in this company and they will help me. And Kudos to you. In a lot of places, even our sales organization, our sales guys will give each other leads, they'll help each other run on a vacation. That just doesn't happen uh, that's in awesome. those organizations. Mm-hmm. But really, we talk very specifically about and explicitly about compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. How we talk about those things, and um, I've asked a lot of people. You know, you could talk about those things at your company, or do you think they're important to be there? And they say, "Well, yeah, managers a little slower to come around to the <laughs> Yes, I, you know, I think they're important, but they're not talked about. Mm-hmm. What really brings it home is when you talk about the opposite. Right? The opposite of kindness is cruelty. Mm-hmm. The opposite of humility is arrogant pride. The opposite of gentleness is harshness. And you know, you don't want those in your organization. So you really be, ought to be talking about the things that you do want in it because by default, you'll, you'll know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So we talk very explicitly about those kinds of things. And, uh, and we find over time that people respond. Um, they experience it if they've been there in the company in a while. The big question people ask, I find, is, well, okay, that's all great and good, but what about you know, when you want to succeed well? Are those the bottom values, line? The bottom line, are those mm-hmm. values... Um, compatible with a fierce determination to be the best and a drive to, to excellence? And the answer is yes, they are. It's just how you do something. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, you know, a lot of people don't make the cut at our company. We're a very high-performing company. But people who don't make the cut, we, we talk with them. We let them go very compassionately and, uh, and even t- stay in touch after the fact very often to make sure they're doing well. So, Jim, do you hire with compassion in mind, you know, when you when when the interview happens or uh, when they get in processed, you know, is that when it gets talked about, or does it get talked about later, or both, or you know, uh, it just is is there some way that you can get a feel for someone's level of compassion and kindness, right, and being open because you want you want that in your company, I would imagine, right? If that's right, those are your values. So how do you do that? Um. We haven't discovered a test yet. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> the litmus test, yeah. But we do have a very uh, extensive interview process. And in that process, we are looking for uh, the ability of the employee to engage you. You know, are they looking in the eye? Do they listen? Um, do they are sensitive to, you know, questions? Not just the direct question, but maybe what's behind the question. We listen to what the questions they ask. And over the years, we've gotten pretty good at identifying people who fit our mold. Because at the end of the day, we're, a, we're a, a computer, we're a customer service organization, right? We, we build networks, but we build networks at people's offices and right. we help people solve their problems. So, you know, very often people call, they're, you know, they're, they're frustrated that things aren't working the way they want them to. <clears throat> and you have to be adept at dealing with people, you know, at a very good level. 
So how do you encourage others to become compassionate achievers? I, I would definitely say you're right there. Um, but other than leading by example, is it a culture you create within the company? Um, do you require certain like philanthropic acts or certain hours that people have to do good things? Or is it just, like you said, kind of figuring out what kind of people you're hiring and hope you, hope you have those you people? You have to live it. And the motivations have to be right. I know in corporate America, you know, discovered employee engagement. They started putting programs around employee engagement, but people can see through it. It's still about the bottom line. People aren't going to respond. Mm-hmm. You have to do it for the right reasons. You're doing it because you care about people and it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so as an organization, there's a lot of things that, that just become, that become part of the culture. One, the kitchen. In fact, we're renovating our office right now and we're making the kitchen the kitchen we want. But that's the heart of the company. People hang out there, they talk. I love walking down the hallway and hearing laughter. You know, we there's people in the organization who, who are there because they're just they make everybody feel good. You know, mm-hmm. they're very funny. They're, they they love people, and um, that's so people see us living it. We also um, take on projects, certain United Way, some other things. But we, uh, we a friend of mine had a woman with advanced MS. And she'd gotten to the point where um, she barely could move her hands anymore. Mm. So her, her quality of life was incredibly poor. But uh, my friend just asked me, he says, what you can do for her? He said, well, we, you know, we're experimenting with the Internet of Things type things, automated thermostats and yeah, you know, uh, climate control. Anyway, so we went over and completely automated her house. No. Lights, fans, the TV, HVAC. And That's where technology is amazing. Yeah, you know, amazing. this is the positive parts so of Amazon it. Amazon Echo, Alexa. Yeah, I have wow. that home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You completely control environment. To watch the with TV, voice. Changing and the channels, turning the fan on, turning the lights on, right. off, everything with her voice. Oh. That has really changed her life. Kudos to you. But the company sees that. We invested probably four or five days of time and quite a bit of expense. Mm-hmm. A couple of guys went over there and did that. And, wow. and so the company, you know, certainly responds to that. So I read a quote, I'm not sure where it came from, I found it on the internet, so like, (laughs) it must be true, right? It's like, Wikipedia, no it wasn't. Um, (laughs) I can't believe now, just as a total aside, can people actually change Wikipedia? Can you go in there and just put whatever you want in there? Yes. Yes. In fact, as a professor, uh, students are cited Wikipedia themselves. Have you found that happening? They'll oh. write it and then they cite themselves. Uh, and, oh, yes. really? <laughs> yeah. well, oh, that's what, what I'll do, if there's a topic that I'm going to talk about, I'll jump on the Wikipedia or I'll have a friend of mine do it and change something that's completely false and it stays there for about three days. Does it? Yeah. Before they and find before it? Before they find it. Wow. And so I'll see who went where oh. and show them that you can't trust you know, what you read on the internet, it's got to be verifiable. So if you use Wikipedia in my, my uh, papers and citations, I won't even read it. Wow. Right, because it's easily, it's easily to be changed. And, and so I don't even have access. I found out that one of my former students actually did a Wikipedia bio on me. Right? <laughs> I don't even have access to that. So, you know, it's, it's, so you can, you can yeah. mess around with, so, <laughs> with people. So, again, it must be true if it's on the internet. <laughs> no, okay. So I digress, but I just had to ask that because I had heard that. So anyway, I did read a quote from you. You can tell me if it's true or not. 
You supposedly said, I have a strong aversion to repetitive work and doing anything one way when I believe there's a better way to do it. Whether it's forecasting for the company or mowing my lawn, I'm going to try to find a faster, better way to do it, and I'm willing to make substantial investments in time and money to accomplish that. Did you... Is I that, is did that say you? that. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Okay, good. Right. Well, the internet Well done, Tracy. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Super sleuth that I am. No, no, no. So to me, that kind of sounds like a shark mentality a little bit. But then to hear you talk and all your actions of what you have done in the past, certainly that is not the case. Um, but are there times when you are willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead um, and how, how much do you adhere to that? I yeah. mean, you know, I, uh, a lot of times there's a study, a Harvard business review study about entrepreneurs that said a lot of them can't actually articulate their mission and vision very well. They just know that if they do these things, it's going to lead to what they want. And I was, I'm very much in that mold until I hired someone who needed to understand why we're here. And he just started answering, asking questions. Over the course of a couple of years, I began to understand more what I was about and what we were about. And at the end of the day, I just love to build beautiful things. And, and whether it's a piece of furniture, which I've built, or other things, uh, or a company. And to me, a beautiful company is one where you, your product is eminently useful and well done, but it's done with people who, who love each other, who get along well together, who collaborate well, who admire and appreciate all the differences that each person brings, their uniqueness, but is able to put them together in a way that brings greater value than them around. That, that to me, is beautiful. Mm. And that's what we, we strive to create. So there's, there is a joyful pursuit of building something. Yeah, what and, that? Crafting. And, yeah, yeah, it's crafting. And a company falls in that mode. So um, we very much understand that it's people are the hardest piece of all that. Mm-hmm. But when you can get people working together uh, in, a, in a, wonder, you know, a wonderfully collaborative, appreciative way, respectful way, it is, it is wonderful and it's beautiful. And that's, that's what we strive to create. And you get elements that don't fit, well, you, you do have to remove them sometimes. But you give them a lot of time to do that. You work with them you, and sometimes they just don't make the cut. It just doesn't do it. Well, one of the beautiful things that you have made uh, is the Samaritan Health Center in Danbury. Tell us about that. Okay, that well, actually wasn't my idea. Okay. Um, it was Bill Beatty, who I think you've had on the, on the sure, show. Sure, yeah. And, and a pediatrician uh, in town. Um, and they had this idea for this, and they asked me to put together the first board of directors. Um, so I was there from the very beginning. We, we built a board that's a, a great group of people and, uh, and have been overseeing the clinic now, I think, for five or six years. And uh, so just I, to clarify for the listeners and you tell me, I mean, you can do it much better than I can, yeah. but you serve under um, privileged children or under insured children, uninsured that- and underinsured children. Okay. And we, we meet their primary care needs about a year ago. We went to actually a model where they pay about 20%. So it's a concierge model. They pay about, I think $70 a year per child, but it's, all their primary care health needs, plus imaging, plus wow. um, drugs and all the stuff that they need. The hospital works very well with us. They, they donate a lot of imaging and lab work. Um, but we're taking care of about 2,000 kids' needs wow. a year who otherwise wouldn't Just have access to or maybe Danbury go to urgent area? care. Just in the greater Danbury wow. area. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, terrific. 
I mean, that seriously. Yeah, um, thank you for yes, stepping up. Yeah. Absolutely. So I hate to keep going back to this sharks and dolphins. Thing. <laughs> I mean, clearly you, that's what you are though. You bring people along. And like you said, you know, Bill Beatty and this pediatrician and you know, you got the idea, but then you made it happen. And do people generally, Chris, are they, are they truly like that in general? Are they, are they kind of built like that? And we've talked about this before, or is it something that is learned over, over the course of their life? I'm going to, I'm going to default to back to uh, Charles Darwin and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, right? Because both of them said that we're all born with natural compassion, unless you're a psychopath, right? And we unlearn it through society. And, you know, you don't see little kids coming out, you know, with, with daggers and pretending to be Freddy Krueger on uh, Friday the 13th. You see them, you know, trying to help each other and trying to learn the environment. And I, so I think we unlearn it as we, as we go along, but we're also not saints, right? And that's one of the things that we talk about in the Compassion Achievers, of the fact that we all fall down, but it's how you pick yourself back up. We all make mistakes. We all might, you know, see something that happens, but the compassionate achiever will acknowledge that they did something wrong. They will take responsibility for it, right? And then, and then move on to try and fix it. None of us, you know, I, I, I'm going to include myself. I'm going to talk about me. We all make mistakes. We've got to fix those mistakes when, when we make them and, and, and own up to them. And so that when I was hearing you with the quote um, with, with Jim, that was his real words, I was interested to see who <laughs> <laughs> it was. What I was thinking of wasn't, you know, it was such a great quote to take, Tracy, because I think what you brought up is confusion people have, that if you're compassionate, you can't be a go-getter, mm. but you can be. A compassionate achiever is a go-getter who looks out for everyone else around them, right? And we've conf- we confuse that in our society. Mm-hmm. We think if you're a go-getter, you can't be compassionate. You, you've got to have, you had to have stepped on somebody else in order to get to that. Mm-hmm. No, that's not the case, right? And I think Jim is a perfect example of that. And the guests that we have on are great examples of being go-getters and being kind mm-hmm. at the same time, right? So it's not an either-or. And some of our guests, I would, I would say, you know, come up with the Buddhists. Buddhists have a phrase called fierce compassion, right? And... I think what you're seeing is a, a bit of the fierce compassion side, yeah. right? That you can, I'm looking for effective ways to solve problems. And he's talking about, you know, in the quote, Jim was talking about the quote, you know, being fast about that, but he also included effective ways, right, mm-hmm. to do it. Because sometimes efficiency is not necessarily effective, <laughs> right? If, you, if you're looking for efficiencies, sometimes it's not the most effective way to, to solve a problem. Abraham Lincoln has a famous quote that he really did say uh, <laughs> that's on the internet about, you know, sharpening an ax, right? You take the time to sharpen the <clears throat> ax in order to chop down a tree. You just don't start chopping down the tree, yeah. right, without sharpening the ax first. So that takes a little time. And I think with, with Jim's quote, you brought up a great, great quote, uh, Tracy, because it gets to that confusion. When you see somebody who's successful and crafts, you know, another thing, everything from furniture to companies, right? That doesn't mean he's stepping on someone or taking someone else's tool. Mm-hmm. That means he is building something for someone else. And you heard that with, yeah. with one, one, one quiet. I think it's, uh, it's important to understand that it's, if you want to call it a strategy, to me, it's just doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to call it a strategy, it's, it's a long-term strategy. It's, 
you know, uh, when you take someone, we hire someone who has some issues, you know, we will spend six months, a year, two years, very much working with that person. And uh, we've had some really good success stories of turning someone who's sort of a bitter, you know, very talented, but bitter, into yeah. someone who really understands what's going on and buys the, into the problem. Well, they're in and a it's worth environment. It because yeah. they're, they're so, you know, they're, they're talented and, and good people. But you're giving them a learning environment that yeah. shows that you can be compassionate. You don't have to be bitter, yeah. right? You don't have to be selfish, yeah. right? And that, that's key. When you're in an environment like that, you can grow. Yeah. So is it a case of um, that you kind of have to force people to be compassionate maybe at the beginning if they haven't been leading that life? Um, is it one of those things that you think you can kind of fake it till you make it? You know, that, that, that thing they, they say, if you're really down and, you know, you make yourself smile. Um, I, I believe in that some. I really do. Um, we've all had those days. And, and working in radio, you can't get on there and ever have a bad day. You, yeah. you can't get on there and be like, wah, wah. You know, you, you've got to just fake it until you make it. And it really can, I've found... You tell yourself, I don't have an option here. I have to do this. I have to put a smile on my face. I have to be positive and upbeat. And I think it does kind of turn it around. Doesn't mean it's lasting, yeah. but you can turn it around. Yeah. I would say so rather do you than, force them to do that or well, not I, really? I think rather than fake it, uh, um, let's, uh, let's call it doing the right thing. Because uh, a lot of times you don't feel like doing the right thing, but you do it. Right. And if, and if saying, being, saying something kind is the right thing to do, you're not faking it if you say the right thing. You're, you're making yourself do it. But uh, you're doing the right thing. But um, I, I think this discussion we have in-house, our people are engaged employees, and by engaged, let's include the values we're looking for. Um, are engaged employees made or born, right? This nurture nature thing. And uh, with you, I, I think that everybody has it within them the capacity to be an engaged employee. And one of the best descriptions I've heard is engaged employees are the ones rowing the boat, you know, neutral employees are passengers, and disengaged employees are drilling holes in the bottom of the boat. Right. So <laughs> That's you, a great analogy. You want everybody to be rowing, right? That's what you want. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think some people are just so damaged by life, maybe the way they're brought up, tragedy, whatever, they just can't get there. And it's not our job to rescue them. We, we want to work with them and help them, but at the end of the day, they're going to make a choice, um, or they just, you know, they, they're going to go to another organization, or whatever. But they just can't get there, and um, those are very sad situations. Mm -hmm. But um, have you so, always been a compassionate achiever? Do you think you've been that way all your life? Um, I, you know, I, I never. I, I don't. I don't plan much. <laughs> I don't think. You know, I, I think all the time. My mind's always thinking. But I'm not, it's very instinctual for me. And growing up, I just did what, you know, uh, I was a decent student, I went to a good school, I, you know. Um, but I never overachieved in, in college, you know, I was more interested in sports and, mm -hmm. and uh, basketball than anything else in college and probably afterwards. So it's kind of instinctual to me. And it wasn't until I started working with more people who started asking me questions that I really began to try to dissect what makes me do what I do. And I've learned an enormous amount from operational people. I don't know if we can spend a moment on this, but um, you know, I, I'm by nature a fly by the 
seat of my pants kind of person, you know. It's, I always pulled all-nighters to get papers done and crammed for tests, and that's just where I was. And you need that to start a company. You have to be able to react instantly and deal and work in a crisis well and all those kinds of things. That's go without sleep. That's, that's what you do when you start a company. But as it grows, you need operational people. People actually can understand how the things fit together and make it work efficiently and, you know, put the pieces together well. And... Um, so we as a company started, as we started to grow, we needed those operational people. I started to bring them in, and there was a real cultural war in the company, because everybody's like me at that point, and those people are coming <laughs> in telling me, no, no, you got to you know, do your documentation on time in the right way, and, and, uh, and it almost put us out of business. Mm-hmm. We lost 12 people over 18 months, as for those that just couldn't react and change. But to me, that's all about building this beautiful company. You need both sides. You need... You need to be able to react quickly, think quickly, do, and you'd have to be able to you know, really do things well in a repeated, consistent fashion. Intel calls it uh, innovate constantly, copy exactly. And I love that phrase. That's, that's what you're asking. Say that again. Innovate. Innovate constantly, copy exactly. Hmm. So you, you know, you're always changing. As soon as you change something, boom, everybody just moves and they're all doing it the new way immediately. Because it's the only way you're going to be able to yeah, companies, produce really high quality results. And companies that I saw that succeed, you know, do some of that. And one of my favorite examples and one of my models is IDEO, right? Yeah. It, it created the first mouse um, for, for Apple, right? And they're constantly coming out with new and innovative ways, but they explicitly talk about kindness and compassion to each other, yeah. right? Because you're going to fail. And innovative companies, that's part of the process, actually, because you're going into new territory that no one did. You're pioneers, right? Yeah. And so inevitably, it's gonna, you're going to come up against the wall sometime. And so how do you react? Do you start flamethrowing everything around you? Yeah. Or do you pick up the pieces and say, okay, let's do it this way, right? And I think the, the people who can pick up the pieces and help each other yeah. you know, are the yeah. ones that are going to follow through on it. They're going to yeah. make it to the end. And you know, IDEO is one of those examples for me that I, I, I just constantly follow. I follow them on Twitter. Yeah. I follow them on, on everything to kind of see, engage their mentality and, yeah. and, and, and their work. And so to hear you, hear you say that, you know, and to go and, and admit that, you know, you had 12 people, you know, leave, that's part of the process, yeah. right? And, and, and how you deal with that in, in a compassionate way will either, you know, build you up or it'll burn you down, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If you think about, you know, sales and operations, that's the biggest, you know, conflict often in a company. But the operational people have to understand that they have jobs because sales does what they do. And the sales guys, people have to understand that they have something to sell because the operational people are good at what they do. I mean, that's, and you have to There's get by the fact here. that they're making my life difficult. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> with the yin and the yang. Yeah, yeah they yeah. drive each other crazy. No, no, you need to, if you can get past that to appreciate each other, have sales understand the challenges of operations and how they can maybe change right. their behavior to help them, have operations understand the difficulties of being a salesperson. You know, you've got... Wait a minute. You don't, you don't, yeah. So that's listening and understanding. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? And then yeah. connecting each other yeah. with the capabilities, yeah. and then you can act to solve, right? So, yeah. But this is what happens, unfortunately, in a lot of companies that don't succeed. They silo themselves, yeah. right? They, and they don't want to learn. They don't want to understand, right? They have it. You hear it every so often. I have a job to do, right? Yeah. And it's not... That's not written in my job description. Mm. That scares the heck out of me, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That. Especially in an innovative technology yeah. company like right. that, I yeah. would think you've always got to yeah. be morphing into yeah. new territory. Yeah. And so, talk about um, 
bringing people together. Yeah, let me give you two examples around this. Please, Just oh that, no, no, yeah, no, because, absolutely. Um, this is why we solved a couple of problems that are age old in, in companies. But one on the sales side, one we had to do, we did some social events together. That's an easy one. But we also on a quarterly basis have each of our operations people rate our salespeople and the salespeople rate the ah. operations people. So there's some accountability there. Mm -hmm. And they actually say, you know, how you did in these areas. And that has changed behavior. And they're open to it. They recognize they're rating each other. And That's it's awesome. been a great tool for behavior. That's there. great. The other thing, uh, you know, take for example our, our engineers. Um, we, we found one of the greatest drivers of customer service is timely documentation. Mm. Um, it also drives our profitability because if they wait till the end of the week to document, you don't get detail. There's a lot of questions on what they did and why they did it. You don't get all the hours. You don't, you know, there's just a lot of problems with it. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, we're very transparent. That's one of our core values. So we actually, as we document real time, we're putting it up on our website. Clients can lo look what our engineers are doing, how they're doing it, when they're doing it, what they're doing at any time. So timely documentation is really important, but it's like pulling teeth to get engineers to document. And it's just, <laughs> they hate it. I'm thinking the Dilbert comic strip. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, right. exactly. So for literally 15, well, what are we, 20 years in business, 18 years, we fought this battle, right? You're, you're, you're doing a review time, you uh, talk to them constantly, you bring the troubled people in your office and explain the, you know, the context of why we're doing it, and they go, yeah, 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 and then nothing changes. So um, we created uh, real-time scorecards around documentation, it took a while for you to measure, real-time scorecards uh, around documentation and billable hours. We put the guys into teams of four, and we said, guys, we're never having this discussion again about you know, timely documentation and, and hours. We said, you guys are responsible for yourselves. Here's your scorecard. There's a bonus every quarter if you hit their, you know, if you hit your numbers. But there's a bonus individually and there's a bonus as a team. Yeah. <laughs> what a great solution. So, That's a great tool and to have for people. It has, in we've business. got we've got the eighty or ninety percent compliance now across the board. Wow. Huge that's, improvement. Yeah, that is. But that's to me that's about trusting people and empowering them mm -hmm. to do what they've already agreed they they want to do and have committed to do, they're just not doing it. Mm -hmm. And it has been a great, and there's no more that management employee friction because you know, that's gone. You're harping on completely them to do gone. it. And, mm -hmm. He's building relationships in the, among the team yeah. and they're holding themselves accountable. But you know, the key is that real-time feedback, they got the scorecard that's, and the team approach. That's some so, great uh, insight mm -hmm. for, yeah. for other business leaders out there to, Absolutely. to, to uh, listen and understand. Yeah. And speaking of business leaders and bringing them together, I know that you started the Western Connecticut Prayer Breakfast. Mm -hmm. How did, how did that come about? What was your thought process and what did you want to get out of it? You know, my, uh, my faith informs a lot of what, really everything that I do. It's the foundation of my family. It's the foundation of the values I believe that you know, we treat people with. And um, prayer, I believe prayer has a big impact on life. You know, and, and it's been a big part of my life and my wife's life. And um, the church I go to is very much built around prayer. I've got about 4,000 congregants there. It's, it's a wonderful church. But um, so I, I wanted discussions of faith to be more normal in, in life. You know, we, I think we all have beliefs, spiritual beliefs. Uh, I think it's very few people that don't have some belief about it. And I find it very interesting to understand what people's beliefs are. You know, what's your belief? Here's what I believe. What do you believe? Has it worked for you? You can always learn. Anyway, the prayer breakfast was. Um, a way to bring various segments of the community together. And it is a, an amazing cross-section of the community. It's business, it's civic, it's education, it's first responders, it's, it's every part of the, of the community. 
and uh, to get them in a room. And we have a speaker who generally talks about 30 minutes, and we've had some unbelievably inspiring uh, speakers. We had a, a mother of a, um, a new town shooting victim last time um, who talked about dealing with adversity and, and how prayer really helped her uh, through that time. But um, it's also time to pray for the community. And uh, I don't think that's a coincidence that Danbury is the best city <laughs> in the state. <laughs> and, uh, and we have some of the vibrant churches here and a prayer breakfast with 500 people a year to come together. I, I believe there's a, there's a connection there. For listeners um, who are outside the Connecticut, you know, Danbury area, you know, Danbury is constantly ranked as one of the safest places to also to, yeah. to live. As and, one of the top cities in right. the country, cities, isn't economically, it? Economically. Yeah, constantly yeah. in the top I mean, 10 by Money is. Magazine. The most diverse yeah. business-wise, right. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's an amazing, I, I love Danbury. I love the yeah. greater Danbury area. So, Chris, are there any studies that show that people become more compassionate or are more compassionate, um, people that believe in some kind of a higher being, being God, Buddha, whatever? Is that, there any? That, that's interesting. Uh, not that I... Seen, and we, we, I mean, there's anecdotal evidence too, right? And you hear people say, you know, when you want to see some of the most uncompassionate things, go to church on Sunday, um, mm-hmm. which actually happened to Ellie one time. She was eight months pregnant. It was uh, Christmas mass, and no one would give a seat to an eight month. <laughs> she had to sit on the floor in the pew in the church. Oh my God. I'm not kidding. Wow. That really did happen. And so, you know, for some people, you know, you know I wouldn't put Jim or you or anybody in this but for some people go to church they going to church is kind of like a symbol like see i'm i'm pious um but then they act very differently uh Mm -hmm. than than what their uh words from their god whatever where their religion is says and you know we call them hypocrites (laughs) and you know that i've seen that right and i've seen someone who is an atheist who is the most compassionate person I know on the planet and you know and so I think a belief in some type of spiritual belief and belief in human beings and belief in each other I think that matters but I haven't seen studies that you know make you know that believe in God or in one way or the other I know some Buddhists who aren't actually very compassionate right and people tie Buddhism and compassion together all the time and we've talked about this we before, have talked about right this. that yeah. compassion predates religion mm-hmm. right it's every religion wants and seeks to be compassionate mm-hmm. I believe but compassion is not owned by any religion and predates it mm-hmm. right it's a human uh, I think it's a you know well we're going to ask that we're going to yeah, ask this ask question. I almost, let's I almost, throw it out. No, I almost let's slipped do it. It's up a here with, with, with Jim. All right, no, 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 but no. but that's it's really interesting. Time. But one of the things I found out, you know, I'm a big runner, that it we found out there's a new study out on runners who actually believe in a higher being, and they can push through more, hmm. right? And they can have, if they believe in a higher if being, if they, they believe can... they they can go a longer distance. They can go suffer more basically hmm. right they can suffer through more uh, of the pain they can run a little faster when they need to uh, and that just came out in runner's world magazine which is pretty cool right to, to see and so i think there's synergy there but i think people conflate things uh, a, a lot i think it's, it's kind of the chicken before the egg or the yeah egg before i think compassion yeah. compassion is something you can have no matter what you believe in terms of your spiritual yeah. mm-hmm. basis right and so I, I think we have to recognize that we're all that and you've heard me say before I think we're all sacred beings and I think if we treated each other with sacredness because we don't violate sacred things yeah 
right? Yeah. If we treated each other with sacredness, this world would be a much better, much, much better. more compassionate yeah. place to be. So I, I, this is, oh no, go ahead. I, I have seen a study. I, I don't know it, um, if you remember this. About, about 10 years ago, a book came out on giving patterns. Of oh, giving cons- patterns. Of conservatives and liberals. And if giving is a measure of compassion. Uh, now get, I want to get by the political thing in a moment because it's, it's, I don't think it's about the politics. But the conclusion, it was an exhaustive study, was that conservatives are more generous with their personal wealth and money than liberals are. But if you dug deeper, what you found is that it wasn't conservative versus liberal, it was how seriously they took their beliefs and their faith, their religion. Didn't, whether it's Christian or Muslim, or, or uh, it didn't matter what religion was, if they were you know, more devout in their religion, they gave more. And apparently, there are more devout religious people in the conservative side than the liberal side. Is what kind of that ultimately is what it came down to. And it, so I would say so that it wasn't the politics necessarily. It wasn't the politics necessarily. It was who goes to those political you know, parties. You know, that's that's one thing I think we could do a show on too. Is is giving a compassionate thing, because it I, I wouldn't actually put it there because I, I would say it's more empathy, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. compassion, you're taking action. In giving, you're kind of saying, "Here you go, hands off," mm-hmm. right? It's it's kind of it's a one way um, event, and sometimes you don't even know you know where it's going. So you know, I think that's a great show to have because we can have you know discussions on both sides of that. Is yeah. you know, so some people say, "Yeah, I'm compassionate. I give you know, I tie ten percent." Yeah, but then you're a jerk the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. You just I, yeah, put your money yeah, where your mouth exactly. is. Exactly. Right? Why don't you act? that way rather than say you know yeah i take out my checkbook every single time i'm good to go i'm compassionate i've seen that and i i wouldn't call those people compassionate some of them yes because they actually live it right they just don't give it they just don't give the check right they actually live it and i've seen other people who give the check and who are put people down constantly right and so you know i i think there's a nuanced understanding of that and, and, and I think that gets lost, too, because I, I, I think when you act a certain way and you actually are helping people rather than just say, yeah, I help, I, I wrote a check. Uh, I'm not so sure that really helped mm-hmm. in, 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 yeah. in some respects. So on that topic, just one brief thing. I, this is a belief I've come to over the last year, really, as I've looked at how the world works. But um, I think nonprofits represent the best part of humanity. Right, you look at ability beyond disability or a yeah. Samaritan Health Center. Mm-hmm. These these people work in these organizations. They're not getting rich by any no. stretch. No. I mean, it's it's a very different motivation. I agree. Than the business world, yeah. but they are doing the work that all of us wish we could do, mm-hmm. and and um, and I making agree. a difference in people's lives. On the commercial side, the for profit side, you know, we're we're about a lot of different things, but making money is one of them. And I believe it's only one, only one, only one. But those two things need to work together. People in for profits need to be funding nonprofits because we're we're all building, we're all building society, we're all building community, and we have what they need to do what we can't do. Uh, Well said, and and that's critically important. And all those nonprofits are struggling. I don't know one that isn't trying to really. You know, and hearing you say that, Jim, you know, I think of, you know, the bigs like Patagonia. Who are giving back, you know, yeah. all the time, mm-hmm. trying to help, you know, mm-hmm. the 
wilderness in locales all around the country, right? And not just, you know, sit back and say, you know, let's, let's, you do it. They're actually getting out there and doing it. And hear you, you know, a very successful businessman say that, you know, that, that's what gives me hope in humanity, right? Because yeah. it's not capitalism or compassion. And when I hear someone say that, I was like, no, you can have both. It's not an either or. Look at Jim Kennedy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's where I think some of the arguments on one side, you know, people who do think, you know, they are better than thou, right? Say, you know, look, no, it's never an option. It's never an either or. You're not thinking creatively enough, basically. And that's what Jim just said. There's creative ways to get this done and to help each other out and build stronger communities, yeah. right? And so I think you were going to get to that. So to, I, I see that in Danbury, by the yes, way. Yes, I are, I love the partnership we have, profit, nonprofit, in Danbury. There's a lot of very generous for-profit businesses and a lot of tremendous not-for-profits. It's and it a, is a city of compassion. It is. It is. It is. Yes. It is. Thanks to you, Chris. Well, yeah. to a bunch of people and students and and the city council, they unanimously voted for it, and so. You know, there, there's a bunch of uh, people, you know, you know, we started the idea, but boy, did a lot of people take the reins and, and drive it home. You know, so that was fun to see, to see how many people jumped on board and said, you know, I can do this, I can do that. So it was a lot of people from different walks of life, mm-hmm. right, that, that took, the, took the reins. So two quick questions. Um, one, I want to go back to motivation of why people do things you you mentioned this a minute ago um and you were awarded the western connecticut state university ansel school of business mayor costas entrepreneur of the year award Mm -hmm. in 2013 that's that is a mouthful um but (laughs) (laughs) but but kudos to you so um this is a two-part question what does that mean to you and do you think awards and and this is really kind of a question for both of you do you think people are more more motivated by awards or is it really just kind of a um thank you is it is it a way to just recognize people or does it actually motivate people if they think you know what i'm gonna go out and do some of this to not not to necessarily win the award but um you know, we see this in, in school sports, you know, in these teams that everybody gets an award. And we've talked about this uh, before. Yeah. But so let's go back to your to your award yeah. uh, in the Entrepreneur of the Year. That says something. Good for yeah. you. Kudos. So I can talk about maybe for me personally and then mm-hmm. yeah. for uh, my employees probably. But um, it was a very nice award to get for sure. Um, I love the opportunity to talk to you know, the community, that 30 minutes I got, I, I love that because I could talk about the values that we're, you know, we're talking about here. Um, but it was just a nice thing, you know, it's on a shelf somewhere, I don't even know where it is, you know, it's a, it's a, it doesn't, I, I, I try to live my life the best I can and that's what matters to me. Mm-hmm. And if people notice or not, that's, it's, it's nice, but it doesn't. Uh, that's not, not why a motivator. you do it. No, mm-hmm. it's, uh, that's do you find that? Yeah, yeah so that... there's been a ton of studies on this. Yeah. Uh, and all relatively clear in terms of intrinsic motivation. And that's what yeah. Jim's talking about, mm-hmm. right? He's doing it because he, he, he wants to. He couldn't explain it before, right? Because he just does it, right? That's what he said, right? Mm-hmm. That's intrinsic motivation, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. just do the freaking right thing, right? right. <laughs> and, and then there's the extrinsic. Right, that's where you didn't do it for money, fame, right? Uh, uh, moving up the ranks, and the 
one of the most recent cool studies on that was over 10,000 West Point cadets. Hmm. And they looked at it between, um, check this out, intrinsic versus extrinsic. Short story is intrinsic officers, people who wanted to serve the country because of patriotism, for example, moved up the ladder much faster than, than officers who said, you know, I'm looking to move up the, the ladder uh, fast and, and quick and do it. Those extrinsic officers who wanted rank were out processed out of the army at a much faster rate than the yeah. intrinsic, right? But this is really the interesting part for me. To that, I was like, yeah, go good guys, right? And then this is the part that was really interesting. People who had both an intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, right? Where it was a, you think it maybe was a mix, they did worse than the people who were purely intrinsic. Hmm. So people who wanted to win the award and you know, had this little bit of intrinsic actually did, they did it the middle here basically right this intrinsic and uh, extrinsic people they they kind of fell in the middle between the extrinsic and intrinsic always the intrinsic intrinsically motivated people succeeded even the combination of intrinsic and extrinsic (laughs) so you know there's been a ton of studies and it was over 10,000 West Point cadets it was I think uh, came out in the New York Times on um, July 4th of 2014 Uh, and you can read the study uh, quick, quickly yeah. there, but that's that's you know exactly what Jim yeah. Jim's saying that those are the, Jim is the type of person who succeeds right. It's intrinsic motivation, yeah. just do the right thing. I love right. hearing that. That's those and I don't care if I get the yeah. award. That's not what it's about. That, right. but you yeah. did have an opportunity to speak to people, so that's a good <laughs> yeah. and share your thoughts. Yeah. Help others realize what yeah. good can come out of this. One yeah. last question that we ask all of our listeners: So, is compassion a value, a virtue, or a verb? What do you think? A value, a virtue, or a verb? The easy answer is it's all three. I mean, yeah. I don't, well, yeah. that's, that's, that's good. You, that's you, you don't answer. have to choose one of those. No, nope. yeah. you don't have it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a value you believe in. It's a virtue that becomes part of you. And it's something you do because that's who you are. Love it. uh, Love it. Thank you so much for being with us here today. And I just want to give listeners an opportunity. Can you direct us to a website if they want to find out more about you and your company? Yeah, it's www.network-support.com, network-support.com. And we'll put that in the description as well. Yeah, but just so they can find you and find out more about the amazing things you're doing. Chris, thank you so much, as always. Tracy, thank you. (laughs) And and Jim, thank you. And uh, we hope for you, the listener, that you had a chance to listen to not only a business side, but also a tech side of how to unleash the compassionate achiever within you so that you can attain success. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.